0: Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer Podcast Series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Laura and in each recording I'll be meeting a geographer to discuss their research and where geography has taken them. If you've got questions, ideas for topics, or simply want to know more about upcoming podcasts, follow AskTheGeographer on Twitter for the latest updates. Did you know that after water, sand and gravel are the most extracted group of materials worldwide? Used in construction, India has more than tripled its annual use of sand since 2000. In fact, between 2011 and 2013, China consumed more sand than the US did during the entire 20th century. In this podcast, we meet with Laura Schoensberger. We discuss how sand is not a renewable resource within human timescales. So what does this mean for our environment and the countries that will suffer the most insecurity as a result of its loss?
1: My name is Laura Schoenberger. I'm a Banting Fellow at the University of Ottawa in the School of International Development and Global Studies.
0: What is sand grabbing?
1: So sand grabbing is a term that I'm trying to see if this term works to describe the capture of sand as a resource, um, the dredging and extraction of sand um, or use in construction or trade with other countries. So it's building off the successful... um, field of studies known as land grabbing, which emerged about 10 years ago and got a lot of traction around the 2007 and 2008 financial crisis and world food price crisis. So we see a similar dynamic in terms of elite capture of resources, and we're thinking about understanding this extraction of sand as a grab.
0: So where does sand grabbing occur, and how is sand used when it is grabbed?
1: So our work, um, this is part of a collaborative project with Melissa Marshka at the University of Ottawa, and our work is being focused in the Southeast Asian region, and for this project specifically Cambodia. But where sand tends to be grabbed is coastal sand, so sand lying on the, on the coastline or in relatively shallower waters, um, in estuaries, but also uh, lying in the bottoms of rivers and riverbeds where sand isn't necessarily grabbed as desert sand because the wind as sand is moving around the desert it erodes the particles so that they're too smooth and too soft to be used in construction because what this kind of aquatic sand you can think of it is used for is um, in cement, in construction, in asphalt, but if you start to think about sand, it really is everywhere. Like sand is one of, is used to make glass. It's also used to make computer chips. So it's in so many different parts of our economy. If you think about uh, the part of the economy related to manufacturing, but also the knowledge economy, when you start to think about computer chips. In addition to um, where sand grabbing occurs. We've identified Cambodia as a hot spot because it's emerged as one of the top 10 exporters of sand globally. And it's the main supplier in the last 10 years to Singapore, which is the world's largest importer of sand. But we know that sand is being mined elsewhere for trade to other countries, like some of the wealthy Gulf states, um, Dubai and Qatar are importing sand as part of land reclamation projects and mega construction efforts. And sand is also um, dredged and extracted domestically. China has used more cement in three years from 2011 to 2013 than the United States did in the entire 20th century. And that's largely uh, extracted domestically for domestic production. So there's different facets to sand extraction. There's that which is being mined for trade to other countries and that which is fueling these new kinds of economic growth poles. India is also a major site for sand extraction and violence around sand extraction. Um, So what we're seeing is more and more attention to sand extraction as as, um, economies demand more of it. What are the environmental costs? What we see in Cambodia as the environmental cost is that as sand is being removed, it's changing the ecology. And it's changing the ecology in a number of ways. We've seen mangroves fall into the sea because the sand is being mined out from under them. Mangrove planting is important and mangroves generally are important because they provide protections to shorelines uh, from storms. Um, And they're often a key part of um, strategies for adaptation to climate change, especially around concern that storms are going to grow with frequency and intensity and um, the risks of sea level rise. Riverbeds are collapsing, River banks are collapsing. Um, sometimes alluvial islands that form with, uh, seasonally with the sedimentation of sand, when there's less sand flowing through the rivers, they're not forming. Um, it has a serious impact on fish stocks. And in the region where Melissa has been doing her work, most of the fishers there were crab fishers. And they've been unable to lay their traps without them being destroyed by dredgers, but also the crab stock has declined so significantly. that in this area, as much as 20% of households have migrated out of the region because the fisheries just are not able to support a livelihood any longer.
0: How does this impact coastal resource governance? Well, it really muddies it.
1: Um, and I think that's why uh, the case study that we're presenting here at the conference is so interesting because it's, it, this sand mining is happening inside a part of the country that's under the jurisdiction of the Ministry of Environment as a protected area. And it's gone in without an environmental impact assessment. The sand is being mined on dredgers, which are moving along the water. And so they're mobile. And so they're going far beyond the areas where they are licensed to mine. And they're moving throughout the system. And so it really muddies coastal resource governance. What has happened in this area where there's a history of co-management, meaning that the the government and communities are working together to manage the resource is that it's undone a lot of the good work. There is a mangrove planting campaign that planted hundreds of hectares of mangroves, but they have subsequently been destroyed or threatened by sand mining. Same with initiatives to construct coral reefs. When you pull up sand, you make the whole water system murky. And so it's had a real impact on fisheries
0: how is this related to global capital flows and how does this perpetuate global inequalities
1: that is something that we're trying to figure out but the The short answer is that it's deeply related to global capital flows as countries, well-off countries like Singapore or like some of the the wealthy Gulf states, they are buying up like the very material substance needed for them to expand into the sea via land reclamation projects or up into the sky by urban mega development. And they're doing so at the cost of um, the very material that it takes to support livelihoods in poorer countries.
0: Going forward, how can these issues be better governed?
1: That is a critical and emerging question because at the moment, there isn't an international legal framework uh, that applies to the extraction or the trade of sand. And there isn't any international or really robust domestic monitoring systems that are coordinated in terms of understanding where sand is being mined. And so there's a real opening here for global governance to get more involved as there's more and more pressure put on this resource. Um, in Cambodia, uh, a national organization called Mother Nature Cambodia, which has um, composed my, mainly of young activists, they started to make educational videos in the last two years. Um, they're often two-minute clips, and they're very creative, and the activists will sometimes go and bury themselves up to, up to their necks in sand before delivering key uh, key findings related to the extraction of sand and they've been really creative in terms of how they've, shown how much of this economy is somewhat illegal and they've gone to use UN statistics, known as UN Comtrade data, that show the import and export of materials and what they've found by looking at this UN data is that Singapore has reported far more sand entering Singapore than Cambodia has reported exiting. And they've shown that as much, that close to 750 million US dollars has been reported paid by Singapore to Cambodia that there's no trace of on the Cambodian side of the accounts. And they've taken this video campaign and extended this uh, way of understanding it to other countries and shown this similar type of trade relationship where millions of dollars are gone missing as well as millions of tons are leaving Cambodia unrecorded. And after they had their uh, biggest viral video It went viral in the sense that 2.5 million people watched it in a country of 16 million people, where it's estimated that about half of the population have um, a mobile phone with internet capacity, and of that, only a small portion do access the internet through their phones. So viral really takes on a different meaning when you put it in that context. And shortly thereafter, two activists were arrested and detained for five months for photographing. Um, some of the equipment used to dredge and mine sand and that group has since disbanded as a formal organization um, Because they felt that they could do their work just as effectively as a network of individuals And if you go onto their Facebook page, you'll see it's really dynamic It's Mother Nature Cambodia and their YouTube channel and they've started since using puppets after the crackdown There's been a political crackdown in Cambodia in the last year. And since then, they've started to use puppets to offer them more anonymity and to say it makes them more brave to speak the truth. And anyone who's seen Sesame Street will probably uh, recognise the style of their puppets.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discover the latest updates on learning resources and events, visit rgs.org forward slash schools or follow us on Twitter at rgs underscore IBG